Hey everyone, welcome to the Geek Awakens, where the talk is geekier than considering unfriending one of your oldest friends because she spoiled Doctor Who. I'm Mitch, and joining me tonight is Matt. Yeah, I could I could see that. Tabitha. I'm assuming you did unfriend her. And Lydia. That's that's rough. Yeah, so I didn't unfriend her, but um okay, so I'm talking about Miriam here. It's like I said, one of my oldest friends. I've been like her best man in both of her weddings, etc. So I'm at work Sunday night, and I get, like, a text out of the blue from her. It's been a crappy day all day already. And I get a text from her, like, ah, major Doctor Who spoiler, which, like, if you guys, if, if you're not caught up, I'm not going to spoil it, even though, like, it's all over social media. I've already seen it, and I'm not caught up. I'm yeah. a little mad that I've seen it, but I really now just want to see how it all unfolds. Right. But, yeah, so, like, but it's, like, it's not even – it's still the same day. You still mm-hmm. haven't even given me a chance. Which and, and also, like, I don't even think she's caught up. So I'm thinking what had happened was that she, like, probably saw it on social media or something and then decided to relay the message. I'm like, yeah. oh. And, like, something like that, like, I really – I did not want to get spoiled on that. But, oh, well. I mean, it's exciting, but it's – irritating and frustrating to have that spoiled yeah it's usually the things that you least want spoiled that get spoiled yeah yeah you're right but hey if you uh like getting spoiled on things well actually if you don't like getting spoiled on things then be sure to subscribe to us pretty much wherever you get your podcasts including stitcher spotify and podcast addict really like what you hear then throw us some greenbacks on patreon at patreon.com slash the geek awakens podcast have i used that one yet I don't know, but don't use it again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, any questions, comments, or concerns, shoot us an email at thegeekawakenspodcast at gmail.com. What's wrong with greenbacks? It just sounds weird. It's just a weird... Do you just have a collection of weird names for money? Google. One of these days, I'm going to be the email in our inbox that has a comment or concern, and it's going to be me asking you to never say something again. It's greenbacks, by the way. So, in other words, expect that email tomorrow. Yeah, I'm sure it'll be strongly worded as well. All of my words are strong. So... LodgeCon is next week. Uh, new to the con this year is the Family Activity Area, uh, hosted by LodgeCon and baby clothing and accessory maker Your Baby Can Geek. The Family Activity Area will have things like a coloring contest, uh, color and fold your own D20, and You've Gotta Be Kitten Me play Family Play. I just really want to know what You've Gotta Be Kitten Me is. I think it's a car game. I think so. Is, yeah, oh. I think it's a car game. Well, hmm. need to find out about that. Uh, you can find more information on Your Baby Can Geek at fa- on Facebook at facebook.com slash yourbabycangeek or on their Etsy page at etsy.com slash shop slash yourbabycangeek. There's a lot of slashes and shops and slashes. and. <laughs> uh, also coming to LodgeCon next week is us. Uh, in addition to... <laughs> In addition to geeking out, hobnobbing, and rubbing elbows, uh, we'll also be duking out in a special edition of Guilty Pleasure or Dumpster Fire. <laughs> hobnobbing? Yes! It's a thing. But us? What, what decade are you in today? <laughs> it's a lot of I mean, it is the 20s now. I did write this last night. <laughs> At what time? Like, were you, were you I mean, conscious when you wrote this? Yes. I, was I drinking wine? Yes. That explains a lot. 
I, I, I hadn't gotten drunk in that twine yet. You hadn't gotten drunk in them? <laughs> How much gotten drinking have why, you wait? Why, why, why do I let you people in my house? <laughs> because you knock be, on the door and you say, come in. And this would be really boring yeah. if it was just you. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. So, um, so uh, to prepare for the con, we won't have a normal episode next week, but we are going to have a special live episode of the show at LodgeCon. Uh, LodgeCon will be next weekend at the Will County Fair Atrium in Piatone, Illinois. Um, do you guys, I know that I, uh, mentioned like last week or whatever on our Instagram page and Facebook page, what my contribution for guilty pleasure or dumpster fire is. Do you guys want to share what your contributions are? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I have selected Tron and that's the original, right? The original. Okay. Yes. Tabitha. I have selected the greatest movie of all time. Star Trek Troopers. <laughs> <laughs> do you agree with that, Matt? To be determined. <laughs> And Lydia? <laughs> I picked Earth Girls Are Easy. Which is the second greatest movie of all time. Agreed. <laughs> so, I, uh, if, if you didn't see, I chose uh, Snakes on a Plane. Uh, Pickett's original choice might not be a thing, so we're not going to reveal that one just yet. But we got to keep, you know, some surprises for LodgeCon, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Keep them in suspense. Exactly. Keep them on the edge of their seats. Give them a reason to come back. Or to never return. No, we don't want that. Yeah. But I mean, we, but we might give them a reason. I, just not on purpose. Uh, un- yeah. This is a journey. Are you two done? <laughs> nope. <laughs> We're off to Mordor. <laughs> BRB. <laughs> so a uh, couple of press releases to talk about quickly, and then we've got a couple reviews before we get into some heavy stuff. Um, heavy for it, us at least. Yeah. It's a heavy week for us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, so um, Vault has announced that Finger Guns number one is going to receive a wraparound cover from uh, artist Jen Hickman. Uh, they've been uh, they've done art for uh, Test, uh, Jim, Jim and the Holograms, a bunch of other things. Uh, Finger Guns, I know we talked about uh, maybe last month or so. Yeah. It's about two troubled teenagers uh, that discover that they can manipulate emotions by firing finger guns. I hope we get a chance to read this because this sounds mm-hmm. fantastic. Mm-hmm. I cannot wait for this. It's going to come out uh, in, in the next month. February 26th is the first issue. And yeah, like I'm just, <laughs> I am so on board for this. Um, also silver sprocket announced uh, their spring season. And uh, one of the first one that they, um, that they mentioned was uh, something that we've actually already talked about. It's big punk by uh, Janelle Hessig. Uh, also, up release is No Romance in Hell by uh, Hyena Hell. And this one, it's about, uh, it says, Disappointed with her romantic prospects in hell, a demon ascends for, uh, to Earth's surface on a quest for loving tenderness from human men. I <laughs> I need that in my life. That sounds fantastic. She's going to be disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a, like a episode of Supernatural that didn't get approved. Uh-huh. Or Buffy. Yeah. Or Buffy. <laughs> Um, also Radlands by Liz Suburbia. Uh, then this says, uh, salivate over a motley crew of sexy punks, weirdos, and extraterrestrials in the Radlands, a collection of pinups. Uh, it also does say that they are not liable for uncomfortable stirrings in your nether regions. You saying uncomfortable stirrings in my nether regions has not made me uncomfortable. <laughs> Just everywhere though, right? Just everywhere. <laughs> 
<laughs> Stolen Sharpie Revolution by Alex Reck is the go-to guide for all things zine-related. Uh, this book contains everything you need to get started creating your own zines and participating in zine culture. Uh, you Will Be Okay by uh, Meggie the Ram is an anxiety, anti-anxiety pocketbook that tells you that you'll be okay at least eight times. It's filled with coloring pages, simple thought exercises, advice, and resources to help you get through your anxiety attacks. Nice. That's mm. really cool. Yes. Um, One Million Tiny Fires by Ashley Robin Franklin. Uh, fusing sexual intimacy with cosmic dread, this queer horror tale fo- uh, follows Brianna and Cassie a couple in an isolated Texas farmhouse whose rural fantasy has soured into a tense nightmare. Uh, this one is also going to have a limited printing of 2,000 pieces with a metallic silver foil cover. Oh. So, you know, they're getting fancy. I don't know why I said that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know why you say a lot of the things you say. It's okay. I, yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, I'm flagging by Archie Bongiovanni. Uh, it's uh, Queer Flagging 101, How to Signal the Sex that You Want Using the Hanky Code, which I didn't quite realize was still a thing. Evidently. Mm. Yeah. So, Nartoons by James the Stanton is a trippy, dippy, psychedelic fun, uh, like a Hanna-Barbera mushroom trip. Hmm. That so. sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, then, and then finally, Next World Tarot, uh, Pocket Edition and Art Book by uh, Christy C. Road. It's uh, following up on the uh, Next World Tarot deck by queer punk feminist Latinx icon Christy C. Road. Uh, they are pleased to present an oversized hardcover art book with expanded card descriptions in both English and Spanish, along with an economically priced pocket edition of the original deck at standard tarot deck size. Hmm. So check all that out uh, from Silver Sprocket. All right. So last, last little bit of... Um, press release news so z2 uh, has announced damnation poppy's inferno to release uh, july 2020 this is poppy's sophomore comic book effort and uh teaming with writer ryan katie uh to pin this so the first one was genesis one uh in which poppy and uh ryan tackled themes of influence through a dissection of relationship of fans and enthusiasts uh to the art on which they cast their uh, hope and belief So Damnation, Poppy's Inferno, continues down this path, this time putting Poppy in a story where in which there are uh, those who literally seek to control and change uh, change her for their own purposes, leading through the depths of hell itself. So that sounds like a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. All right. So we got a chance to read a couple of books uh, this week. The first one is from Oni Press. It's Backtrack Number One, which... Um, I really, really enjoyed this book. Yeah. Uh, looking at the cover and looking at the first couple of pages, like you almost get like a Fast and the Furious kind of vibe to it. It looks like mm-hmm. oh, it's gonna be like kind of a you know racing story, which okay, not really my my bag. But then they throw in like a huge curveball, um, where this now uh, car race takes you through history. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, this is going to come out uh, next week, February 5th. Uh, what did you guys think about it? <laughs> I read it earlier today. Tabitha read it just a little bit ago. She's sitting across the table reading it, and all of a sudden she goes, where'd the dinosaur come from? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, yep, I had that exact same thought. Yep. <laughs> I really like this. I'm really excited to see where this goes. Like, 
time travel is totally my jam. You add in like a death race kind of thing. I'm into it. Same. It, it kind of gave me like Borderlands vibes too. Like, especially with the, like Quillix, I think is how you say his name. Like just the swagger he has mm-hmm. with the, the whole thing. Like I cannot wait to see more of this. Yeah. And I, I really liked that character. I kind of like how he's just kind of like, yeah, you, the swagger is about the, is the best term for it. Mm-hmm. You know, just like, he just is like, yeah, I'm here. I know everything. So yeah. Yeah. I thought it was going to be fairly straightforward and then took a hard left. <laughs> yeah, basically like it was pretty straightforward until the dinosaur. Like, like I kind of saw where it was going until that moment you turn the page and you're like, huh? <laughs> okay. Now I got to know. Yeah. So, I mean, great hook there. So, um, also, uh, Coming out, uh, actually, this came out yesterday. Uh, Vagrant Queen, A Planet Called Doom, number one. Uh, this one is from Vault. Uh, and Vagrant Queen, That's uh, this is a title that we actually, we talked about the f- maybe the first couple of issues last yeah. year. Uh, and this is a spinoff of that first series, which for me, uh, w- when I was reading this, I was a little bit apprehensive because I know I never finished that first series. Mm-hmm. And But like, but this, even though with it being a spinoff, could I have benefited from finishing it? Yeah, probably. But this is still very new reader friendly. Um, I didn't feel really lost or anything like that by n- having not finished it. Um, I did like how um, the the end of this book really is like, oh, hey, uh, you know, it just kind of like drops a huge bombshell on you. But what did you guys think? This one didn't pull me in quite as much as the other one. And I don't remember if I read the other ones. I think that was about the time I was getting super busy and I didn't, but I didn't like that. It just kind of like dropped you off just in the middle of nowhere. And it's like, Oh, Hey, you should know what's going on. Right. Cool. People are dead and we're looking for somebody. Okay. I'm lost. And I don't care about any of these people. I don't know what you're wanting me to do. Fair. Yeah. I got to the end of this and I was like, wait a minute. I'm having like weird deja vu about some of these characters. And I, I messaged you guys. Cause I'm like, have we read this before? Or am I just like having a moment? Um, I liked that twist at the end. And like, that wasn't en- like enough to make me want to read more, but in order to read more, I feel like I have to go back and read favorite mm-hmm. queen, like in its entirety to know what I'm getting into. Yeah. It was definitely a, like throwing you into the deep end if you haven't read or remember any of the original Vagrant Queen, but you kind of get like, they kind of pull you more into the shallow end as it goes along. Um, you know, introducing you to the characters and giving you some of that background information without being an info dump. So I really enjoyed that, but I still think that going back and rereading that would be beneficial to continue. But even if I don't, I still would like to know like where this goes. Yeah. So, like I said, that one is out now, so be sure to check it out. Um, Tabitha, this was something that we had kind of talked about off-air um, last week, and it's something that's uh, causing a little bit of drama in the book world. Uh, yes. So, I had to type my feelings out because I knew that if I didn't get them organized, I would go on like a 20-minute tirade and we'd be here for forever. So I'm going to read you what I wrote. Um, So if it sounds a little scripted, that's all it is. And then I want us to talk about it, even though I know we've already talked about it. I know we try not to get too political on the show, but I try to bring in as much 
book content and bookish news as I can because um, I feel like it's kind of left out of the geek community a lot and there's been some uprising over a certain novel. Uh, that novel is called American Dirt. If you ask Janine Cummins, her great-great-grandmother is Puerto Rican. If you ask anyone of the multitudes of book reviewers whose reviews have been hidden by her publisher, that's not enough to give her the right to write this book. American Dirt is about Lydia Perez, who lives in Acapulco and runs a bookstore. She has a son, Luca, and a journalist husband. Then one day, Javier, who had, just happens to be the head of a local drug cartel, comes into her bookshop and they become friendly. Then her journalist husband writes a tell-all profile of Javier, and the shit hits the fan. Massacre ensues. Lydia and her family are forced to flee their home and head for America. While the premise of this book sounds promising, especially given today's political climate, book reviewers are disagreeing, calling the work harmful, appropriating, inaccurate, and even trauma porn. The first of many problems is that Cummings has never claimed her Latin heritage until now. In an article five years ago, she even went as far as actually calling herself white. Point being that is this author is completely unable to speak to the immigration experience and randomly claiming your heritage when it's convenient or for a profit is not okay. In an interview in the New York Times, Cummings said, I don't know if I'm the right person to tell this story. And then in the afterword of the book said that she was aware that privilege would make her blind to certain truths, stating that she was worried that as a non-immigrant and a non-Mexican, she had no business writing this book and even wishing that someone slightly browner would write it. Second problem, Mexican writers are horribly underpaid and underrepresented. It's almost impossible for Mexican authors to get their manuscripts into the hands of publishers, but for a white woman with a dramatic storyline, it's a cakewalk for, to get a seven-figure advance, be picked for Oprah's book club, Barnes & Noble's book club, and given the support of one of America's biggest publishing houses, Flatiron Books, who's an imprint of Macmillan. 124 prominent diverse authors have signed a letter to Oprah urging her to rethink using American Dirt as one of her book club picks. In a time when we need own voices content more than ever, the publication and popularity of this novel is a slap in the face. And if that wasn't enough, the publishing house has been basically hiding the negative reviews of this book. Amazon has actually taken down the option to leave a review at all. When I looked last, there was 121 reviews that has been capped. There have been no more reviews after that. Books like this are jam-packed full of stereotypes and italicized slang to be more immersive, and that's just not what we need. At the release party, the author had images of the cover, barbed wire, painted on her nails, and the centerpieces were cement blocks also wrapped in barbed wire. Someone posted to Twitter asking if the publishers were saving the mannequins floating face down in the reflecting pool for the celebration of the Book of the Year award. The remainder of the author's book tour has now been canceled, citing safety concerns, which has only further propagated the idea that the Hispanic population is prone to violence, and has actually shut down the opportunity for people to publicly express their opinions on this book. Needless to say, I will not be reading or purchasing this or anything else by this author. And while I would never call for the ban of a book of any sort, I urge all readers to get out there and do their research. Lots of someone slightly browner have written excellent books about the border crisis, and I challenge you to discover them. The book community has been in like an uproar for like the last couple of weeks. And I was looking at the people who have blurbed this book, and I was telling Matt about some of the authors. And I think all it proves really to see who has blurbed this book is that authors don't always read the books that they blurb. They are paid to put their name on a book, and they put their name on the book, and they carry on. I mean, who did we see? Joe Hill, Stephen King. Stephen King, Sandra Cisneros. Yes, who wrote, the, you know, House, House on Mango, Mango Street. Yeah. Like, yeah. these are people who have, you know, embraced this book or are seeming to embrace this book. And if you watch the show where Oprah announced that this book was going to be part of this, she, like, she, you can tell the woman yeah. has never read the book. Like, you can tell that she's off the cuff and like she's reading from a script and she's embracing this book and she's like waiting on like social triggers and like things to like bring 
her conversation together with this author and you can just tell she hasn't read it. Um, last I heard, people were not participating in the Barnes and Noble book club for the first time in a long time, which has actually become pretty popular in the last couple of months. I guess we'll just see. The author's been attacked on Twitter a couple of times, which I mean, it's the internet. Of course, she's going to be able to be attacked on Twitter. But if you pull up the reviews that are written by the Latin community, they are scathing. Scathing. They're terrible. Yeah. Yeah. That's just, <clears throat> excuse me. That is just like, there's a lot to unpack with, you know, with, with all of that. Um, and, you know, and especially like with the, with the release party, I, I feel like there's no good thing of what you just read, but that in my opinion is like one of the worst things. Like, you know, the, the barbed wire fingernails. Okay. But like once, you know, once you have the, the, you know, bricks or whatever, mm-hmm. also wrapped in barbed wire, then like at that point, like you're just, I feel like you're trolling your haters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You are. And like, it's just, I have a hard time talking about this. It, it, it makes me so angry because the own voices community has grown a lot, especially in young adult novels in the last like five years, but they're still sometimes very hard to find and they're not publicized, but this mm-hmm. random white woman writes trauma porn about the border crisis experience through the eyes of an immigrant who is not an immigrant, who is a white middle-class lady, like find people whose voice they're using and not someone who's using other people's voices. And people all over the internet are mad and I get it. And I think that the verbal attacks are not the way to go about things. Um, you aren't going to get the book unpublished. That's just not how life works. No. Like there may not do a reprint or whatever, and it's already on the New York Times bestseller list. Like you can't, you can't do anything about it. The, the most you can do is just not give the author your monetary support. Yeah. I mean, that's the best thing at this point is just not to buy it, not to support it, mm-hmm. not to, yeah. Cause I mean, it's already, it's already out there. It's already published, which that's one of those things that makes me wonder like who, like what editor, what, like what, acquisitions editor read this and is like yes like from this author this is what we need today like i just i can't and especially being an imprint of one of the big five like do you not have checks and balances to catch things like and i you know i understand that having those own voices is very it's always been very important but it's been even more important over the last even 10 15 years there's places to do that there's ways to do that like you don't have to pretend that this white woman writing this book is not white so that you can get a story out there that's not the way to do it yeah Yeah. would it have been any less damning if she hadn't suddenly um embraced her quote unquote you know latin heritage if she had just been off you know like just still like yep i'm i'm a white woman writing this book you know like i feel like it still would have wouldn't have given the right message but do you think like she was trying to be like oh see i'm one of you like yeah i mean that definitely did not help her cause i i think at the end of the day every like people were going to be mad no matter what and it it would be different if we lived in a time where people who do live in Mexico could get book deals and could get their manuscripts to publishers and, you know, get their voice heard and get their story told. But we don't like, we don't live in that time. And I don't know that we will ever live in that time, unfortunately. So 
for her, it, it feels like she's making money off of other people's trauma mm-hmm. and that doesn't feel okay. No. And like, while people will write books about World War II and write books about, you know, the Titanic sinking and like these horrible destructive events, these are things that have happened in the past. Like this is something that's actively happening. Like there are border crisis books floating around on like there's tons of them. There's tons of them on the internet. You just have to look for them because they're not publicized. She's making money off of other people's pain. And she's not someone who has had that pain in her life. And I just, I can't fathom. I can't fathom sitting down to write a story about a culture that I do not know anything about. Like to the point where she's like, well, I read all these books by all these Mexican authors. Okay. I've read all these books by all these British authors. I'm not suddenly British. Like that's just not how this works. (laughs) Yeah. Good point. It would, someone said it would like her book release party like the decorations and the the very white bread food with chilies thrown in and chilies with like chilies spelled like chilies um is the equivalent of having a boy in striped pajamas book release party and asking everyone to wear striped pajamas because it is yeah although real talk though being able to go to a book release party in pajamas That'd be pretty rad. That'd be pretty legit. That would be pretty comfortable. <laughs> as long as it wasn't the boy in striped pajamas and like, that's just too much. Too many feelings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like literally any other book. <laughs> let's have a pajama party. But maybe just not Maybe just one. let's have a pajama party. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. I'm yeah. down. So, um, so yeah. So is there anything else that you guys want to bring up with this particular topic? Just do your research before you blindly buy books. Look for own voices, authors. Don't look for people who are writing diverse books for diversity's sake and just to make money. We're going to start a gut reaction, and we're going to start it with hopefully a happier (laughs) um, uh, bit of news in the book community. And we're going to start with Tabitha and uh, The House on Mango Street. So I know we talked about Sandra Cisneros a while ago, uh, who blurbed this book, but The House of Mango Street is going to be adapted into a TV series. Um, the book was written in 1984, and it's a series of vignettes told by American Mexican-American teenager living in a Chicago neighborhood. The, the author has denied public, like any kind of adaptations for years and years and years, but given the ongoing immigration issues that the U.S. is facing, she's changed her mind. Um, I'm going to just quote her because I can't think of anything better to say than what she said. Um, I write because the world we live in is a house on fire and the people we love are burning. Television has grown up in the last 20 years and now it is time to tell our stories. She's also going to be executive producing. I don't know how this could possibly go wrong. I think it's going to be on Netflix from what I understand. And I'm, I'm stoked. I think in a time where we keep getting crappy things. It would be so nice to get something good, and I think this might be it. So, huge thumbs up. Matt, this is definitely one of those things that we need in this time to combat things like American dirt. So, thumbs up. I remember reading this book in high school, and while I don't really remember anything about the book itself, I remember really enjoying it. So, I'm really excited for this. Total thumbs up. Lydia? I'll be honest. I haven't heard of the book. I haven't read it, but... It sounds like a good thing to have, especially compared to what you were just talking about. So absolute thumbs up. Um, Matt, um, let's talk about uh, Anaconda. So Anaconda is going to strike again. 
Hollywood Reporter has said, just stop. It's what he has called. Sorry. <laughs> uh, Sony's Columbia Pictures is working on, they're calling a reimagining of this iconic film. Yep, yep. I, I didn't say it was a good icon. I just said it's an icon. Um, the script is being penned by Evan Daughtry, who uh, worked on Snow White and the Huntsman and Tomb Raider. Uh, the rumor is that they're looking to do this in the style of the Meg. So kind of like they would be fighting against a prehistoric sized anaconda, I think. I don't know. We didn't need the first one. We don't need we didn't need the sequels. We don't need the remake. Thumbs down. My anaconda don't want none of this remake. <laughs> Thumbs down. <laughs> That's why I started giggling. Lydia. Thumbs down. Oh my god. Thumbs down. (laughs) Um, Speaking of reboots or remakes or what have you, uh, Lydia, what's up with pirates? So I feel like we talked about this before, about them wanting to quote-unquote reboot the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise, which I'm sorry, you can't reboot it franchise that just had a new movie like three years ago but um they are talking about replacing johnny depp as captain jack sparrow with zach efron um we still don't know what this reboot is going to entail we don't know if they're just going to start over from the beginning and redo it with new actors we don't know if they're going to make it a prequel series with a younger jack sparrow or anything like that but disney is apparently looking to cast him um they also brought on the writer from the other pirate movies, Ted Elliott, and hired Craig Mazin to create a new all-new storyline, apparently. But other than that, that's all we know. So I don't know why we need to reboot a franchise that's still technically going, but at the same time, if they're going to go the route of like younger Jack Sparrow, I'm kind of all for Zach Efron being Captain Jack Sparrow. So for that aspect, thumbs up. But other than that, why do we need a reboot? <laughs> Definitely. I stopped watching the Pirates of the Caribbean movies after the first one because I was uncomfortable. They just were weird and it's just not my jam. But you put Zach Efron in anything, I'm going to watch it. So thumbs up. <laughs> Matt, this ship has sunk. Thumbs down. You're just mad about Zach Efron. Uh, Fair. <laughs> I feel like Zac Efron has kind of proved his acting chops over the years. Uh, I don't know that the public would um, necessarily approve of him being Jack Sparrow just because that's one of those things where it's like Johnny Depp is is that role, mm-hmm. you know? Um, if, they, if they're going like a younger route, okay, maybe. But if it's like, oh, just Captain Jack mm-hmm. just looks different now, then no, I, I don't see that happening. Um that said, I, I'm going to give this a thumb sideways. Pirates has never really been my thing, and it's going to continue to not be my thing. <laughs> so, uh, Sony Pictures has removed Masters of the Universe from its release schedule. It is being replaced by uh, Uncharted. <laughs> <laughs> so the Tom Holland, <laughs> the Tom Holland, Mark Wahlberg uh, movie is going to has been moved up to March 5th, 2021. Uh, probably part of the reason why that's <laughs> Uh, been moved is because of the whole new Spider-Man movie, but we'll see. Um, the uh, Master of the Universe could still get a different release date. It's just now been undated. So um, I don't know. I'm going to have to give this a thumbs sideways because 
while on the one hand, like I don't know that this Master of the Universe movie was going to get um, was going to be good like at all. I also know that there are issues with Uncharted, so I still continue to be like, uh, maybe just don't put anything out on March 5th. Maybe, maybe not. So, thumb sideways, Lydia. Yeah, maybe if you're having that much issues with stuff, maybe just like wait a while and then release something later. So, thumb sideways. Tabitha. Tom Holland is not Nathan Drake. Master of the New Universe is never going to happen. Let it go. <laughs> Thumbs down. Okay, Elsa. <laughs> Yeah, they've been trying to do a Masters of the Universe film since the original Dolph Lundgren version, and it just never happened. So I don't think it's ever meant to happen. And as much as I enjoy Tom Holland as Spider-Man, and I like Mark Wahlberg, this Uncharted movie is the worst possible iteration that could come of this franchise. Thumbs down. Tabitha, we've got... uh... A happy birthday for Nancy Drew slash happy death day for Nancy Drew. Right. So Dynamite has released a new comic in honor of the 90th anniversary of Nancy Drew. So that's a thing. And then they killed her. But it's cool. What? Right. And right. Um, But then the Hardy Boys are on the case. So Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys, the death of Nancy Drew is going to be a standalone series written by Anthony Delcor with art by Riverdale artist Joe Eisma. Um, so I'm a little confused. So in order, in like, in honor of a strong female character for her 90th anniversary, we're going to kill her off and have two dudes solve the case? Like, that's not Nancy Drew. That's not how that works. I'm really hoping that there's, like, a kidnapping plot twist kind of thing where she's not actually dead. They just think she's dead, but she's in the background really solving everything because, let's face it, the Hardy Boys can't figure out anything. So thumbs up for them honoring her, but thumbs down for it being, like, in this way, this just doesn't make sense to me. I hope I'm missing something. Matt. I mean, nobody ever stays dead in the comics, so I'm going to assume that she's not actually dead. But it just seems like a very bizarre way to honor the birthday anniversary to kill off a character and bring in other characters as the main focus of the story. So, I, I like, like you, I said, I, ho- I hope this, like... There's something else going on in the background, but in general, like the way they went about this, I think is going to have to be a thumbs down yeah. on paper. Yeah, it <clears throat> excuse me. It sounds weird. Um, you know, like, oh, let's have, you know, like, oh, damsel in distress or whatever. Let's have the boys do it. But I mean, at the same time, I mean, it's not like this is the first time that the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew have teamed up. No. Uh, that said, I mean, I would be willing to bet money. I'm not going to bet money because I don't have any money. But I'd be willing to bet money that Nancy Drew is not dead. I think you're 100% right. She's probably actually solving the case or whatever, and she's not even the damsel in distress. Uh, So I'm going to give this a thumbs up um, for my idea of it. (laughs) But if I turn out to be wrong, I reserve the right to change it to a hard thumbs down. Lydia. Yeah, that's that's totally weird. Like like you said, let's honor a character by killing her off. That's just that's just weird to me. But yeah, I'm gonna go with what you said. If it, if it's that way, thumbs up. If it's not, thumbs down. Uh, Matt, we got a new Ghost in the Shell trailer. We did. So we knew that Netflix was doing a Ghost in the Shell movie. Um, this one is entitled SAC underscore 2045. The general gist is that in the year 2045, after global capitalism has defaulted. Japan's elite Section 9 begins conducting covert cyber operations. This will debut on Netflix in April. 
after looking after watching the trailer, like the original anime is phenomenal. It's fantastic. It's one of the few anime that I have watched and recommend if you want to get into anime. Um, I haven't seen the movie or any of the subsequent anime films. Um, but it, this one in particular, even though it's computer generated, the animation style looks kind of dated almost in the trailer. It's kind of bizarre. And then about halfway through the trailer, you get the theme song for this movie, which just seems incredibly out of place with like, the action that's going on in the trailer. I'm going to go with the solid thumb sideways because I just don't really know what to make of this yet. I'm still intrigued enough that I might watch it when it drops. Yeah, there. I when I watched it, I thought that there was something weird about the animation style, and you're absolutely right; it's dated. Uh, but I kind of liked that animation style. Mm. I'm still gonna go thumb sideways on this one, just because it, this is not for me, Lydia. I didn't get a chance to watch the trailer, but based off of what you said, I'm skeptical about all of it. So thumb sideways. Deb. Yeah, anime's never really been my thing. I've tried to get into it a couple of times, so this is just not in my wheelhouse. So thumb sideways. Um, Matt, let's talk about J.K. Rowling. I mean, um. Robert Kirkman <laughs> and what he's doing. I mean, everybody wants to retcon their own work, so we might as well just add him to the list. Um, so on January 22nd, there was a tweet by L. Biddle 25 uh, directed at Robert Kirkman inquiring about the origin of the zombie apocalypse. Uh, the exact tweet is, so we never got an answer even with the comic finished. What caused the zombies? Question mark. Kirkman replied to said tweet with two words, space spore. The internet kind of went crazy about this because it's Robert Kirkman. So he's either 100% being honest with everybody or he's 100% trolling everybody. There really seems to be no in between with Kirkman. So some people are taking it as the truth as the reason for the walking dead zombie apocalypse. And some people are going, no, he's just screwing around. It's not really what he's, he's just messing with us. The overall thought is that it's probably kind of true because he's made previous comments that it was caused by a crazy sci-fi thing that would make the story all that much weirder. I'm at the point with the walking dead, the comic, the show, all of it that I kind of don't even care what started anymore. Like it, that's not even the point, like where it all started. So if he wants to troll everybody, thumbs up, go for it. Yeah, I just, I, I hope that this is not the first of many, you know, things that from Kirkman where it's like, oh yeah, um, <laughs> that zombie was gay the whole time, or you know, whatever. <laughs> like, um, I regret the death of Carl. Right. Damn it, Kirkman, shut up. <laughs> um, <laughs> if this is a one-off you know, answer to a question. Okay, cool. But like, yeah, I just hope that it's not the beginning of something serious. So, uh, sure. Why not? Thumbs up. Lydia. If he's trolling people, good for him. Thumbs <laughs> up. But other than that, like just, just stop, please. Tab. I've been trying to make the walking dead stop for years and it just won't go away. I just feel like this is him being, That's not how they work. <laughs> I just feel like this is him being like, look at this cool thing I could have done. Hey guys, how about a spinoff? Oh God! Oh well, that's what's happening here. He's like, now we're gonna have it like it's some space spore from another planet, and that planet ends up coming to here, and they realize that the, they're all zombies when the space spore really saved the people on the other planet. I feel I see where this is going. Now, Tabitha just wrote the next 
offshoot of Walking Dead. Not I. It could be true, but to be fair, it apparently has been noted in the past. Kirkman has made comments in reference to The Walking Dead in some ways being an homage to Romero's Night of the Living Dead as the creation of the whole zombie thing. And that the, the source of the zombies in that original movie was a space thing. So that's why people think he's trolling. Right. I'm just saying. It's not his idea. He just no. wants more sequels so he can make more money. <laughs> Thumbs down. <laughs> so uh, speaking of uh, outbreaks, so um, <laughs> too soon. <laughs> oh, God. Going on in the world? Um, this That's is directly related yeah. to that. Actually, <laughs> oh. talking about it makes me nervous. Makes me cough. <laughs> <laughs> Especially since there's now been a second case in Chicago, and we're going to be up there in less than a month. We're all going to be wearing masks. <laughs> like furry masks or? No, just like like sterilized surgical masks. Could probably make a part of a cosplay. I'm just going to be wearing one to save my life. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Endemic Creations, which is the, uh, they're the makers of Plague Inc., they have um, basically they've. Oh, no, 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 no. It's gone away. It's oh. gone away. So basically, they've come out because uh, interest in the game Plague has uh, spiked recently because of the whole coronavirus. And they've had to put out a statement basically saying like, hey, players don't rely on this game to stay safe. <laughs> so here's their statement. Not well, a, it's not a training mechanism. Not where I thought this was going. Yeah. So... Their statement says, please remember that Plague Inc. is a game, not a scientific model, and that the current coronavirus outbreak is a very real situation, which is impacting a huge number of people. We would always recommend that players get their information directly from local and global health authorities. Endemic has also noted that Plague Inc. was uh, specifically designed to be realistic and informative while not sensationalizing serious real-world issues. Um, This is the second, uh, the first of two... uh, dumb gamer stories that I have. Like, seriously, why would you trust or like, why would you even with, you know, plaguing having based, you know, being based in science or whatever, mm-hmm. why would you still go to that to be like, okay, well, how do I combat this coronavirus? Like, nah, bro. Nah. Thumbs down. Leah. Yeah, this is not where I thought this story was going when I saw <laughs> that you posted it. I figured they were going to be like, hey, like, this is a real thing. You guys really shouldn't name your your plagues after this in the game. That's not nice. But like, people are using this to like try to what? It has gotten so popular that the the site crashed for a while. <sighs> okay, I've played Plague Inc. before, and like, I don't see where you're gonna get information to not get the whatever disease is going on in the world. Like. No, stop. Go see a doctor and, or maybe not. Maybe, maybe just let the thing weed out the. (laughs) (laughs) I've been saying for years that we needed a new plague. Thumbs down. Just thumbs down. Definitely. The only way to keep yourself from getting this is to not travel to China, to wear a mask, to, if you see someone coughing, do not let them cough in your face. Please wash your hands. Please visit your health professional if you're feeling ill or if you present with a fever. Don't play a video game. Thumbs down. Matt. One, 
you question why this is a thing and you work with the general public. Yeah, you're right. Um, so there's that. I'm going to give plague. I'm going I'm to give endemic a thumbs up for the response. their response to this. A thumbs down for the fact that they even had to make said response. It's like putting a label on a blow dryer. This is not to use it in the bathtub. <laughs> there's a reason why that label's exactly. on there. <laughs> yep. That uh, <laughs> that finishes up this edition of Gut Reaction. Uh, Matt, you've got some news on some new Transformers movies? <laughs> I do. I'm not happy about this. <sighs> so, we've known for a while that they are trying to expand the Transformers universe. They did so with Bumblebee, the pre-sequel, whatever that thing was, spinoff. I don't know, whatever you want to call it. Um <laughs> But they rumor has it that there are two more Transformers movies in development. Um, the first one is a spinoff of the Bumblebee film, and it is going to be written by Joby Harold, who was a producer of John Wick Chapter 3. This guy is also producing an I Am Legend reboot. Also something we don't need. Um so that's the first one. The second one is based on the Beast Wars TV series that ran for what, like three years. It's going to be written by James Vanderbilt, who worked on Murder Mystery, Independence Day Resurgence, Resurgence, and The Amazing Spider-Man. That one has been more well-received over the internet um, because in a lot of ways, after the original cartoon series aired, Beast Wars was kind of the most well-received of the cartoons like after that. So people are kind of thinking that that might be okay as far as a movie, but didn't they already kind of try to delve into that though with some of the other movies that are already out? I think so. I stopped watching after like the third one. How many are there? I don't know. I don't even know. 27. I feel like maybe five. Also not counting, not counting Bumblebee. Yeah, I don't. I stopped what watching the dinosaurs. That was yeah, the that's... last one I watched because Grimlock was always my favorite, but he didn't talk, so it wasn't fun. <laughs> well, at least he didn't. <laughs> at least he didn't talk with like a slightly racist voice. No, but he, I mean, if he's not going to say me Grimlock, then what's the point of having him in the movie? I'm just disappointed. <laughs> this doesn't need to happen. Can we stop? Just yeah, in general, like, <laughs> I'm I am so over Transformers and like. It's like, oh, hey, here's more. Here's more. Stop. You can stop. Anytime. I'm not going to say it. No, please do. We can stop rolling out the Transformers movies. (laughs) (laughs) But hey, these reboots, I mean, there is more than meets the eye. Um, (laughs) We are now going to go to the Baby Yoda news desk. You guys, I have so much Baby Yoda news. Okay. So, Star Wars sound editor David Accord has shared how Baby Yoda got his voice. And it is not at all what I was expecting. Um, It's a bat-eared fox and a kinkajou, which is a tropical rainforest raccoon, because evidently that is a thing. (laughs) Things I didn't know. Um, Don't worry. When Baby Yoda gets, like, super vocal, that is an actual baby giggle mixed with a little bit of David Accord's voice. That was the weird part of the show. Correct. <laughs> Which is still weird, but evidently John Favreau like wanted it to sound more human okay. than it did. Because obviously Yoda Yoda can speak. So mm-hmm. wanted it to sound more less like an Anim- animal and more 
like a human. So Baby Giggle plus David Accord plus Bad-Eared Fox, but alas, a tropical rainforest raccoon equals <laughs> Baby Yoda. Kika, Kika. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I also have additional Baby Yoda news desk news. Um, this was so awesome. <laughs> did you? I did watch. I, I watched, I watched it. this so many times. <laughs> so many times. Um, this is also part of the Lin Manuel Miranda news desk. Ooh, we haven't seen that in a while. Uh, well, while we're talking about the Lin Manuel Miranda news desk, um, he has publicly <laughs> stated that when, not if, but when they film the Hamilton movie, it will be the original Broadway cast, mm-hmm. or it will be nothing. So it's been speculated, but this was his final word on it so it's either gonna come out and we're gonna get the whole cast or we're not gonna get shit so those are two <laughs> options um i have decided however if it does become a like theatrical release movie i'm gonna sign up for amc a list because i'm gonna be at the movie theater every night for like three weeks see i thought <laughs> i thought where you're going that was that you're gonna sign up to audition to be one of the background dancers do i look like a background dancer to you <laughs> have you seen me man I mean, no, but I'd like to. You won't. <laughs> I don't I don't dance, don't ask me. Um so Isaac Lee and Jason Gallagher have teamed up to combine two of my favorite things. They took the song Dear Theodosia from Hamilton and turned it into Dear Baby Yoda. And I don't know how I missed this. This happened in freaking December, you guys. Like I feel so lost. Um Lynn tweeted it out and he literally just said I dot dot dot. And I don't blame him. He's a huge Star Wars fan and forever shocked and awed by his own popularity. Like, he forgets he's famous. He's so adorable and I love it. He's perfect. He's the perfect human. So this was basically the best day ever for him. Um, Lyrics included, you have big eyes. We don't yet know your name. I'm dedicating every meme to you. Galactic life has never known such style. You have hunters tracking your location. Mando will fight for you. He'll make it right for you. If he lives up to his reputation, you'll be in season two and you'll blow us all away. Uh, When you sit broth, I am undone. My son. Look at my son. Child is not the word I'm looking for. After all, you are 50 years old now. (laughs) As the guy in the video is replacing a photo of his actual son with Baby Yoda, which Baby Yoda is now the desktop wallpaper on my computer at work, so I get it. Um, You outshine tattooing son both sons when that happened i started laughing so hard i was crying um we'll only tweet out your face and you'll make us pay seven bucks for you (laughs) that is glorious it was the most perfect thing i've probably watched it like 20 times by now it's just so good like props to these guys like i just i love it it so hard so uh a couple of um vacation stories to talk about real quick before we get to the last story. So Chicago is one of eight U.S. cities that is going to get a hotel branded by Atari. Atari is going to open up, um, excuse me, uh, It'll the hotels will also include uh, restaurants, arcade bars, things like that. Uh, con- uh, construction should begin on the first location in Phoenix, Arizona uh, later this year. Uh, after that, details are pretty much scarce. They don't have, they have not released uh addresses of any of these sites so this might not even be in chicago proper it might be in a suburb Mm. um other cities besides chicago and phoenix uh will uh that will get this hotel will be austin texas denver las vegas san francisco san jose california or san jose california (laughs) (laughs) sorry (laughs) 
<laughs> Mitch doesn't know geography. It's fine. <laughs> well, see, here's the thing. Like, some of the cities have states. Some of the cities don't. Like, it, according to this article, like, some of the states are listed and some aren't. That's, uh, never mind. <laughs> and then Seattle is also going to get a hotel. Uh, Seattle, California? Yes. <laughs> Again, why do I let you all in my house? Because um, otherwise you'd be talking to yourself. <clears throat> Who says I don't do that already? Um, <laughs> Fair point. I am so excited for this. And if by the time, you know, this hotel opens, you know, in Chicago or whatever, like, you know, if we're still doing this and we're still getting press passes to C2E2 and everything, like even if it's on the other side of the city, like that's where we're staying. Oh, yeah. I'm down. Like 100%. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're going to they're gonna have a like a soft opening where they'll invite like press people because that's how hotels oh. work. Yeah. All right. So our goal between now and when they have that press opening is to actually become, you know, big enough to get invited. Exactly. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that arcade bar. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm super pumped and I can't wait to find out more information. Um, Matt, you've got some information on Super Nintendo World. So I do. Um, during its fourth quarter investors meeting, um, it was Universal Studios, Comcast, their parent company um, announced that this summer they are opening a Super Nintendo theme park in Japan. And coming in 2023, the United States will be getting a version of this Super Nintendo theme park. Uh, it is going to feature, of course, a Super Mario Kart ride, which I mean, well you can't, right? You couldn't do this without that. And a Yoshi's Adventure ride. So people on the internet were speculating all types of other like ride possibilities for like this. The biggest one was a uh, Luigi's Mansion type of haunted mansion that type would of be thing, fun. which would be awesome. Um, once it's open, guests will be able to interact with the park using Nintendo themed wristbands. So we'll kind of have more idea um, what this looks like. Once the one in Japan opens this summer, but uh, we got about two and a half years, and we'll have one here in Florida. It looks like something that we could also request press passes to the soft opening of. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. please. Yes, one hundred percent. Oh man, like the five of us uh, doing some Mario Kart. I mean, oh. I don't, I don't ride rides. So I mean, there'd be the four of you and me waving from the. I could record. I could do so much filmography for you. <laughs> I mean, it's if it's essentially like go-kart racing, that's not really a ride, though. It's a ride. It's in a theme park. Just saying, mm. though, I'm going to win. Challenge accepted. Banana peels and red shells. Yeah, I've got some banana peels right there. <laughs> but, you know, like you rode r- rides at uh, Wizarding World. Yeah, and I groped a stranger and I bit my friend. Wait, <laughs> <laughs> hey, What? I mean, that's just like a regular Thursday night. Oh, wait, not Thursday. <laughs> like, literally any other day of the week. That's just like a regular Saturday night. Like, <laughs> groped a stranger and bit my friend? Yeah, no. <laughs> the the, the groped a stranger part I get. You bit your friend? Uh, yeah. So that wasn't actually the Wizarding World. That was on the Jurassic Park ride because... Did you think you were a dinosaur? <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> no, I... Uh... Tabithosaurus. Now I know what this tonight's Instagram post is going to be. Yes. <laughs> I Tavisaurus Rex. Don't like heights. They... <laughs> I'm going to. Where's my belt? <laughs> <laughs> I don't like heights. 
And I was gripping her arm when we came over the hill of the thing where you go, and you fall down. And I looked out instead of down. And all I could think about was how high up we were after we had spent the whole time going up. And I buried my face in her arm. And when I started to scream, instead of screaming, I bit her. (laughs) I left a giant bruise on Brittany's armpit. I'm not good on rides, guys. I'm just not. It's just not who I am. Too much pressure. <laughs> that still seems amazing. <laughs> yeah. You have a good story out of it, though. Yeah, I grew up with Stranger and bit Brittany. Poor Brittany. She's a good friend. She is. <laughs> All of these work. <laughs> She's been my friend since I was like three, so it's not the first time I've bit her, I'm sure. <laughs> probably not the last. No, definitely no. not. Uh, so the last story for tonight, um, this is my second of two dumb gamer stories. Oh, well. So sometime in March or April of last year, and I'm not for sure if I'm pronouncing this person's name right, uh, but Amro Elansari uh, got muted while playing RuneScape. So he took, you know, he tried to appeal his muting and it was denied. So you d- he did the next logical thing. He filed a lawsuit, which is available via vice um, that alleged that uh, Jagex, which is the maker of uh, RuneScape, had engaged in discrimination against him and violated his rights to free speech and due process. The lawsuit was dismissed, like, real quick, as it should have been. (laughs) Um, District Judge Mark Kearney uh, declared that the federal constitutional claims over being muted in a video game are simply implausible. Uh, He did... um, Try to educate this person on, you know, <laughs> what the Constitution says. <laughs> so, quote, uh, the First Amendment and its constitutional free speech guarantees uh, restrict government actors, not private entities. Defendants who are alleged to be state actors are not subject to con- uh, constitutional free speech, free speech guarantees. There goes on to say that the Fifth Amendment's due process clause applies to and restricts only the federal government and not private persons and does not act against a private company. But there's more. Oh, wait, it gets better. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, Billy Mays. So so he was like, okay, I'm not not happy with this response. I'm appeal. So it went to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Third Circuit, and it got shut down. So his first claim, which was based on the 14th Amendment, was invalid. The court ruled because, again, state action is a prerequisite for bringing a 14th Amendment claim. And Elansari has made no allegations, indication uh, that any named defendant is a state actor. Yeah. Also, he went on to try to cite Title II of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Ellen Sari maintained that the district court should have identified and considered a claim of public accommodations discrimination in Ellen Sari's complaint. He also insisted that defendant uh, Jagex should be liable for unequal treatment because, because Ellen Sari was, uh, uh, excuse me, the account was muted uh, compared to all other players who were not muted. What idiot attorney took this case? It was a D, it, it was a do it yourself. Oh, he did it all on his own. All on his own. I mean, that makes oh, sense. That explains a lot. Yeah. Oh, that's it's embarrassing. Nice, it's nice he's got money to waste on this. It In time. gets better. I don't believe you. <laughs> so 
This is um, only one of 10 lawsuits that in the U.S. Eastern District Court over the last year and a half that this person has filed. Whoa! Including four in July of 2019. Too much time on his hands. Yeah. In no- he can't play RuneScape anymore. What's he else? Is he <laughs> well, in November of 2019, a federal appeals court rejected his effort to bring a class action lawsuit against Tinder. Noting, oh my God! Noting that he was ineligible to represent other plaintiffs because he's not a lawyer. <laughs> I am so embarrassed for this human. <laughs> I'm embarrassed for the entire like gaming community. Like, dude, go away! You right. are not helping. Yeah, I mean, it's clear that that this person is not a good representation of gamers. Uh, a lot of the gamers I know are like normal people and wouldn't do that. But like, <laughs> well, like let's think about this for a second. Like going back to the original thing, I'm going to file a lawsuit because I got muted in a video game. That's terms of service is literally tell you if you do something inappropriate, you will be muted. But I got free speech, bro. <laughs> that's just yeah. not how that works. This guy needs to go to jail so he has some time to <laughs> read up on the law. He wouldn't read it. I don't know. I don't think but, he can read. I mean, he's obviously got enough time to file all these lawsuits, so he should have time to actually. What? Yeah, right. Like, what are his what are his job duties? Like, what is his life like where all he does is sits around and files lawsuits against things that he can't file? <laughs> <laughs> you can't you can't file a class action lawsuit if you're the only one in the lawsuit. Dumbass. It's oh. not how class action works. Oh my god! I want to know why he tried to fill, file a lawsuit against Tinder. I really want to know that too. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Probably another free speech because somebody swiped left. That's how it is, right? If I you swipe know. left, that means you don't want them. Swipe right. I don't Tinder, no, so no, no I don't idea. know. I don't. I don't understand how Tinder works. Yeah. Only thing I do is make fun of people on it with my friends. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's sad. I mean, for the other people, not for you. It sounds no. like a blast it's, for you. It's a blast. <laughs> <laughs> I like to watch people be embarrassing. Well, we do that a lot around. Yeah. I said that explains that's, why you hang out with us. That's why she keeps coming back. <laughs> that's why you let me in your house. <laughs> Finally, the question has been answered. You're welcome. So It only took the entire episode. It's fine. <laughs> eh. It kept people in suspense, you know. Or at least Did I'd like it? to think. I'd like to think. Okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> So that'll do it for this episode of The Geek Awakens. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube to keep up with what's happening throughout the week. And be sure to let us know about any cool things we're missing out on. From all of us at The Geek Awakens, thanks for listening, and we hope you'll be back next time. Everybody, say bye. Bye. Bye.